Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us today. Coming up on today's show, we're going to be joined by Joe Scanlon of Local News 4 in Hastings, Nebraska. We've got plenty to talk about with Joe as we'll uh, touch on some uh, Big 12 football, some Big 10 football, and uh, also uh, some Major League Baseball and the NBA playoffs, uh, the NBA Finals, that is, uh, with Joe coming up in just a little while from right now. Also, we'll have Coach Bo's Football Fix presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. And then at the end of the show, we'll have our top public story of the week as well. And joining me right off the top, actually, is none other than Coach Bo, Brian O'Connor, who is going to be with us for most of the show today, as uh, our own Thomas Bridges is having kind of his own Summer of Jones of sorts uh, this week, as he is off in uh, Mexico for a few days for a much-needed getaway. So uh, Bo is going to fill in on the uh, big chair today. Bo, appreciate the time. How you doing, man? Hey, doing well. Thanks for uh, letting me come in today and... uh... Uh, keep the seat warm and uh, have some fun. Yeah. Uh, Bo, we got plenty to uh, touch on. And uh, I got to say, you know, we were saying when Tom went to Memphis that he wasn't going to be safe and such. I don't even want to know what's going on with Tom down in Mexico right now. Where's he at in Mexico? He is in Cancun. Okay. You know, Cancun, I call Cancun the, the ghetto uh, the ghetto of South Beach. It's like the it's like it, it's it's like it wants to be South Beach, but it's just like cheaper. Um, I've only been down there twice, and it's been a number of years, but I can recall it vividly. And some of it's a little hazy at times, if you know what I mean. But uh, he'll have fun, man. You're, he's young; he'll have a good time down there. Cancun's fun. When I get done with you, I'm gonna hop on a bird and head to Phoenix tonight. You been you ever been to Phoenix? Yes. What do I need to do out in Phoenix besides eat Whataburger, of course? Uh, Whataburger, you got, you got, you got Whataburger, you got to try that. I mean, it's, um, you know, I went to Phoenix a couple times. Uh, last time I went was over New Year's in 2019, 2018 to 2019. Uh, we went out for the Fiesta Bowl. Um, LSU won that game. Um, let's see. Minor detail, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, you, know, you got to make sure you represent. Um, and we went to a, we went to a Suns Warriors game on New Year's Eve. Um, Oh, you had a good time. It's it's a golfer's paradise. If you're a golfer at all, it's a great place to go play golf. Um, there's lots of little places to hit. You know, find where the locals go is always my thing on travel is to find where the locals go. Okay. And if you can do that, you're gonna have more fun than hitting these tourist traps and that sort of thing. Um, what are you going down to Arizona for? So I am uh, on the call doing the uh, broadcast for the uh, Native American Basketball Championship, high school basketball, boys and girls. And uh, we'll be streaming that online this weekend. I'll tweet out and put it on Facebook and such where people can follow that. And, uh, Bo, there is a, there's a chance. Um, still waiting on some stuff to be confirmed. But there's actually a pretty decent chance I might end up at game five of the finals on Saturday night. That'd be fun. Yeah, I'd be able to go. Are you going to go as a member of the press or are you going to go as a fan? Oh, I'm going as a fan. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you'll have a blast. I'm going to embrace probably. the culture, the atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I've, I've always, I've, a couple times I've been down there, I've enjoyed it. It's going to be hot. I mean, real hot. I, don't even I can know. deal with dry heat, though. I don't like humidity. Yeah, I, I, I'd rather deal with, I always, I'm the opposite of most people. I'd rather deal with hot than cold. So, yeah, I can deal with that. 
Yeah. I mean, they, they got me staying, Bo. Uh, we're, we're getting the, the full-on Summer of Jones treatment. I'm staying at a resort across the street from the arena downtown. I mean, we talk about being worried about if Tom's going to be safe, you might need to worry about me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, Tom's prone to make bad decisions, and that's okay. You know, once you got used to it, you just kind of continue on. But, uh, Jonesy, you know, you don't make that many bad decisions. If you do here, you might have a couple of issues. Uh, hey, there's clubs to hit there in, 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 in Phoenix, and there's lots of stuff you can do. I, I'm, I'm a little out of a touch to know. Okay. Um, tell you so, what, we, we get off the line here. I'll give you a buddy of mine's number. Okay. See what he knows. So here's what I'm looking at, Bo. You know, I haven't had a rooting interest in this NBA Finals. I've been just enjoying it uh, for the heck of it and hope that – uh, we have an entertaining series. But I got to say, if I get to go to game five, if I'm in the building, I want the Suns to win because I want to see what that city is going to be like um, on Saturday night after a Suns win and then see if I still make my 6 a.m. flight Sunday morning. <laughs> it'll just be staying up. <laughs> yeah. No, it'll be fun. I'm rooting for Phoenix as well. I'm rooting for Chris Paul and – that whole, that whole gang. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I haven't been to a, a clinching game like that in a home stadium. That'd be kind of cool. I mean, I've been to a national championship game, and that happened. It kind of half-assed me in a, in a home stadium. So that was, that was fun. And I remember being up pretty much all night. So, yeah, you'll, you'll have a long night on that. <laughs> I'm looking forward. Enjoy it. If you go, have a good time. Man. Have a good time and oh, yeah. play it and – yeah, it's good to go as a fan because you get to really experience what's going on around you and then the nightlife after. It'll be right. crazy. Oh, yeah. Live your best. When's that game? That's Saturday or Sunday? Saturday night, yeah. Oh, that's even better. Yeah. Oh, and then on top of that, Bo, uh, you know, I got to connect planes in uh, in Vegas. I've never been to Vegas. Uh, should I even waste my time on the airport slot machines? Uh, you know, my wife wins on those. Really? I don't know how she, she Jen wins every time she plays a slot machine. I don't know what it is about her <laughs> slot machines. I myself do not play slot machines. I only play card games and dice games. So, um, yeah, but I, I don't see the reason. Roulette. Why don't you go ahead and take a, a chance at Russian roulette while you're at it? <laughs> I'm not good at roulette. I damn sure would be good at Russian roulette. <laughs> um, no, I'm a, I'm a blackjack and craps guy myself. But, uh, okay. No, you, you, yeah, I mean, if you've got a little bit of time between between flights, I mean, you can't go off and come back out. I mean, it's just going to be too hard to get back through you know, the TSA and everything. It's not worth the time. So It's 2021. TSA still sucks. So. Yeah, so just, yeah, I would just, yeah, you can play a little bit. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Okay, okay, Bo. Well, that's all good to know. Uh, that's a, a good transition where we want to lead today's show, the NBA Finals. Uh, between the Suns and the Bucks, As we're taping this on a Wednesday afternoon, the Suns have a 2-1 series lead on the Bucks, And in uh, games one and two, Bo, the Suns really just had their way. They got to insert their will and really do what they wanted uh, against the Bucks. And, you know, Mike Budenholzer and company didn't really have an answer for what the Suns were bringing to the table. They were playing their game and they were doing it well. And then you look at game three and the Bucs really just locked down defensively. 
And the, the big question going into this series, Thomas and I were talking about this last week, was how much were the Bucs going to get out of Giannis? The fact that he was coming off an injury, we know that he's not 100%. And all we've seen from Giannis to this point is that in these three games he's played so far, he is now fourth all-time in scoring when it comes to the first three NBA Finals games of one's career. Quite the debut for a guy coming off injury. Back-to-back 40-point games. And in this last game, uh, he was able to get a good performance out of his teammates, you know, Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday and company as well. Um, if you're a Bucks fan, I think you feel a lot better after game three, um, not only because obviously you're, you're 2-1 now, but your star player, although he's not 100%, he's playing like it. He's playing like his, his, his bad self. And the rest of the team around him is stepping up quite a bit. They've made some good adjustments. Uh, I mean, the the Bucks, I feel, are in a lot better shape now with uh, this, uh, with that win they had in Game Three. I mean, it was pretty much a must win for the Bucks, and they uh, they responded well. I thought both. Yeah, I think that. Uh, I mean, obviously, the Bucks are only going to go as far as Giannis can take them. Uh, you do have to feel better about where you're at if you're a Bucks fan after Game Three. But, uh, man, the Suns are going to come at him a couple different ways. I mean, you don't know whether it's going to be that two-man game with uh, Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton or if Devin Booker decides to take over. Once they get back in front of their home crowd as well, that's going to be a big deal. Um, You know, if you're you're the Bucs, you need game four. Uh, By the time you hear this, you will know. But uh, I think the Bucs need game four to kind of make it best two out of three from there. Um, I think if the Bucks lose game four, I think it's adios and they go from there. Yeah, it's hard to imagine them coming back from down 3-1 if, uh, if that's the case. You know, the, the, uh, game four feels like a must win in uh, that sense. Uh, but, yeah, they'll, they'll have their work cut out for them there in, uh, in that game four to try to uh, you know, keep this series competitive of some sorts. Meanwhile, if you're Phoenix, yeah, you lost by 20. In game three, it wasn't pretty. They were never really in that game. They had a few runs here and there, but never were really competitive. And now you go back to the drawing board a bit after what they did in game one and game two and uh, and, and try to bring that back of some sorts. You know, we've seen the Suns, Bo, play this more traditional brand of basketball with uh, Chris Paul, you know, in that traditional point guard role, getting Devin Booker involved. DeAndre Ayton playing inside, kind of like a, a Dwight Howard big man role of sorts, and it's really worked well to this point. Um, if you're Phoenix, I don't think one loss really changes things. I think you know your identity. Uh, you've worked on this all season long. Chris Paul's been a big part of why this team has its identity, and these guys know their role. I don't think one game changes that. I think you still go back to what got you here and continue to do what you did in game one and game two for the rest of this series. Oh, I agree. And I think that they'll just try to body up and put as many bump as much as you can. Giannis going to get him off his game. Um, I think the big deal, I look at the Suns. When you and I talked, I was on here about a month ago, talking about the beginning of the playoffs. You liked the Suns a lot. And you talked about them quite a bit. And I was like, well, I like them too. But the thing I like about it is I liked the fact that Chris Paul was the perfect addition to that young, talented team. I mean, Devin Booker's a 
he's an all-star. He's a he's a superstar about to break out. DeAndre Ayton is an actual big man. Yes. An actual seven-foot, get on the block and take it to the hoop, big man. And there's nobody point guard-wise better suited for that kind of player than Chris Paul. So I expect to see a way to calm that game down in game four is to watch a little more of Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton kind of slow the game down a little bit, grind a few baskets, put some bodies on some guys defensively, and and try to grind that game a little bit. Yeah, um, I think that's a great point. Uh, I think if you do that, I think the Suns are going to be able to keep that game low scoring. I mean, I think the Suns want to keep this game low scoring, and they can have a track meet back at the right back at the crib. Yeah. Well, now, yeah. now, Giannis, uh, you know, those back-to-back 40-point games, here's something I wonder about Phoenix Bowl. Um, you know, certain coaches, you know, feel certain ways, but, um, you know, the I, I, I remember from Bill Self, the, the way that he would talk about, uh, you know, matchups, typically speaking, against, you know, teams that had a big-time player of some sorts at the college level, like a, like a Cade Cunningham at Oklahoma State or – uh, our buddy healed at Oklahoma. You know, the thing that Bill always talked about was, uh, and, you know, listening to him say this for years covering that Kansas basketball team was, hey, those, you know, that star, he's going to get, he's going to get his. It's our job to shut everyone else down. We've seen the Bucks. you know, Giannis is getting his. Um, do you think that the Suns continue to, uh, you know, is Giannis going to continue to get his and then try to focus on shutting everyone else down, or do they need to maybe renew their emphasis on slowing down Giannis a little bit? What's the year? I think you need to put a body on Giannis. I think Giannis Antetokounmpo is an incredible basketball player. He's one of the best two or three in the world. I think the biggest problem we see with him is that he's not a very, very tough guy. He's, he's big, he's strong, but if you body him up and you keep coming at him and keep coming at him, he's going to get tired. And I think that that helps them get the free throw shooting issues. Um, I think that, that I think what the Suns are going to do is make an asserted effort to to put a body on Giannis as much as possible, to get in his face as much as possible. He's still going to get thirty plus points. He may even get forty, but he's going to have to earn them all. And I think that's what Phoenix is going to do. They're going to say, "Hey, you you get yours, but you're going to have to earn them." Because it's not his game to distribute the ball. Yeah. Uh, One thing that's been talked about, Bo, is is the talent and coaching on this, that Milwaukee may be the more talented team, but I feel like, Bo, that Phoenix is the far superior coach team. And and not just Monty Williams, but also having a coach on the floor and Chris Paul. What Chris Paul's done to help these guys figure out their roles and – run this offense effectively here. Mike Budenholzer has been uh, a buffoon of sorts from what we've seen, you know, with with how many times they almost got eliminated this year and their early exit they had in the semifinals last year, how he mishandled things uh, and, and how much they've underachieved, you know, leading up to until this point of getting to the finals here. Um, Bo, I, 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 that's how I look like. I think Milwaukee's slightly more talented, but I think there's a huge – coaching advantage with Monty Williams, what he's done, you know, kind of that Tony Dungy approach that he's brought to the Phoenix Suns um, with Chris Paul there. I mean, it, it feels like the the minds, the the the, uh, the mind games are being won by Phoenix here, I think. I, I think you just made a really good comparison of Monty Williams with Tony Dungy. 
Um, you know, a guy who says, hey, let players play, you know, kind of be that solidifying force. And I just don't think he can be overstated how important Chris Paul is to that guy team. Uh, the, the two games he was down with the COVID stuff, you know, they, you, you know, Devin Booker came up, stepped his game up, and they did it kind of for Chris Paul. And, and I think that's a big deal to these guys. If Chris Paul's come in here, made these guys pros, made them feel more professional. I think Monty Williams has done that as well. And I think they want to win it for those two guys. I think these young guys have come together as a team. I'm, I'm, that's why I'm rooting for Phoenix. I, I just, I think that, I think you're spot on with a lot of what you're saying there. Of, you know, it's, it's the coach. It's also the coach on the court. And um, I think the question, the thing here is, if Chris Paul finally gets a ring, where is he in the pantheon of the best point guards of all time? That's a good question. He's way up there. And he's way the up. last of his era, really, too. I mean, you look at every point guard since him, the you know, Steph Curry's, Russell Westbrook's, James Harden's of the world, all play that position totally different. Um, yeah. You know, he's more of that John Stockton, Steve Nash mold. And, and uh, I mean, the, the way that the point guard position was initially intended to be played here, I don't think, Bo, in my lifetime, and, and may, maybe I'm wrong, maybe the things turn back around, maybe – the Suns have a generational impact of sorts, not ruling that out, but I would be hard pressed, Bo, to think that there's going to be another traditional point guard in my lifetime that's going to be as good as uh, as Chris Paul. Yeah, well, the point guards we have now, you mentioned Harden and you mentioned Curry and a few others, they're scorers as well. Right. The traditional point guard, like you talked about Stockton, uh, Isaiah Thomas is one, of, he's the guy that I kind of draw the comparison the CP3 on, and I think they, was, they were distributors. They were ones who helped everybody else get better. And I, I, I think he's sort of the last of that breed in many ways. We just don't see that because so many players, they don't have – scorers have to have the ball. Mm-hmm. And Chris Paul finds a way to get the ball to scorers. And Chris Paul's not going to beat you with shots. He's going to beat you with dribbling, going to certain spots, and then, boom, he's going to find the right open guy. Um, yeah, I mean, he's kind of a throwback in many ways, and I think he's sort of the last of those guys. And um, I'm just happy because I know the knock on Chris Paul for years was he couldn't get, he get out of the first round. Right. And now he's in the finals, and he's the guy on that team. He is the best player. I mean, I mean, I you could argue that Devin Booker is a better player right now. It may be – in the future, but I mean, as far as leadership and everything else, the most important player of that team is Chris Paul. And I, I'm really happy for him. I just, I've been a fan of his for a number of years. I'm happy to see that. Yeah. I'm with you there. A couple more things on these uh, NBA finals before we move on, Bo. Uh, what about just interest level? Uh, I'm curious. Uh, I know that you're a football guy first, but um, you know, the ratings uh, are up about, uh, you know, 15% from last year's NBA finals that were in the month of October, granted, but still down 35% compared to 2019. I like that there's new blood involved, Bo, that you're talking about two, you know, small market franchises that uh, aren't typically in this discussion. You know, neither team has won a championship in a very long time. Um, you know, the, the, the players involved here from Chris Paul's, we mentioned to Giannis to Devin Booker. I mean, 
Um, just some new faces. I like it. I'm intrigued. I'm making a point to watch every night of this series. Where's your interest level at, maybe compared to some previous NBA Finals? Well, I think that you and I, I'm kind of in the same boat you are. Is I like it, but we're not what – you and I are not the um, the casual fan. Right. The casual fan wants to see LeBron, wants to see the Warriors, and Seth, um, the, big, the big names, Kevin Durant. You know, or, or the big cities, you know, a New York team would have been great. Or, you know, or, you know, there's not really anybody else in that category. You know, maybe one of the – maybe the Lakers or the Clippers. But I think people really want to see the Lakers get there. I mean, even the Lakers I – mean, Lakers fans are obnoxious, and we had to hear that all season. But, you know, it would be good for the league for ratings had, you know, the Nets made it or the Lakers had made it. Um, even maybe the Sixers. But I think that, you know, this is kind of – this is really not what the NBA wants as far as ratings, but it's kind of what they need to build new superstars. I mean, if, if Giannis wins with Milwaukee, then you have a superstar who is an actual superstar, and then he has a ring to prove. If Devin Booker, Chris Paul, and DeAndre Ayton win in Phoenix – you have this team with this up-and-coming superstar in Booker. You know, how does that make him? So it's a good thing long-term for the health of the league. It's a bad thing for the current ratings. But ratings are down across the board everywhere pre-COVID. I mean, it's I mean up from last season, of course, but ratings are across the board down in every sport except for the Super Bowl. Right. Yeah. Football is the only thing that has held strong really throughout COVID and, and uh, where the numbers have stayed consistent, but everything else has dropped off. And, you know, I think this thing too, Bo, it's going to take time. We mentioned the casual fan. Um, You know, I bet there's a lot of folks out there that still don't know who DeAndre Ayton is. That's not a household name yet. I mean, that, that shot he had uh, against the Clippers that, you know, that game winner that, that he had. I mean, I bet that was a, a coming out party of sorts for a lot of people yeah. that had no idea who he was and such. Yeah. I mean, there's, it's going to take time for, for some of these guys to kind of grow into the role. I mean, Devin Booker, yeah, he's been an all-star and, you know, he's been an incredible scorer the last few years, but again, this was his first ever playoff appearance of his entire career. Yeah. The only reason I knew who DeAndre was, I knew he was number one overall pick. And I, the last time I was in Phoenix, that New Year's Eve, we went to a Suns-Warriors game, and I watched Booker and DeAndre Ayton. I was there with my son, who's a huge NBA basketball fan, and I said, tell me about this kid, because I was impressed with both of them. I was impressed. There was the those 20 – it was New Year's Eve 2018, so it was DeAndre Ayton's first year. I've been 2019. Anyway, whichever – it was DeAndre Ayton's rookie season. And I said, who is this big guy? That's the, that's the one they drafted? And, was, and he's like, yeah. And I was like, that guy's a star. I mean, you can just see the athleticism. You can see the athleticism of Devin Booker. You can see those things. But I only knew that because I happened to see him in person. Had I not gone to that game, I wouldn't know who the hell they were. I wouldn't know. A casual fan wouldn't know. You know, you only know what you see on Sports Center. And you know, no one's staying up to watch the Suns, you know, back east, even the Midwest. We're not staying up to watch the late game unless it's the Lakers. So 
I think basketball, the NBA's got a problem with that right now. They've got to figure out some way to to make other teams and other players popular. I mean, I think part of it too was the NBA was probably kind of caught off guard a bit by the rise of the Suns. This was a team that didn't make the playoffs last year. Um, they bring in Chris Paul and feel like, okay, well, we'll see what happens. But there was just no expectation for the Suns to be at this point uh, ever. Even when they made the postseason, most folks were saying, well, they're not going to get past the Lakers. Yeah, I mean, you and I talked about it a month ago. We said, hey, what do we think? And I said, well, I like the Lakers if LeBron's healthy. But if he's not healthy, I mean, we, we, both, we both talked about how we like the Suns and I like the Nuggets. But that was, you know, where we were at with those two, with those games. I, but again, we know more than a casual fan. We watch a little more. Right. You know, you talk about the going back to the ratings piece of it. Yeah, casual fans just don't watch that. They're going to watch the New York teams, you know, the, the Net, Brooklyn Nets, the, the, the Knicks, if they're winning, are popular. Any team LeBron's on, the Lakers, and now the, the Warriors last few years. Yeah. And if one of those five teams isn't on, no one's really watching. I shouldn't say no one. Most casual fans aren't going to watch. Those are the alternatives. Mm-hmm. It's also a situation where, you know, sometimes it's hard to find. Are they on TNT? Are they on ESPN? You know, you know what? It, you know, a lot of the games that ESPN plays are Friday night, late night. Mm-hmm. So who's watching a West Coast game Friday night? Unless you are, you know, a degenerate like one of us. You know, I mean, honestly, it's. That's, I mean, we have, we have other lives. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, now, we'll uh, we'll circle back later and talk some more NBA when uh, Joe joins us coming up in just a little while from right now. But, Bo, uh, I want to transition and uh, look back on uh, MLB All-Star Weekend. We're about the halfway point of the MLB season, and uh, Shohei Otani was uh, – kind of the big storyline, the headliner of sorts of All-Star Weekend. Didn't win the home run derby. Didn't get past the first round. But nonetheless, people were there to see him. Uh, the All-Star game itself, he gets the start at pitcher and at DH. Um, you know, whether Stephen A. Smith likes it or not, Bo, I mean, it's it's pretty evident. This guy's the face of the league. And this was, we mentioned, like, coming out party. This was kind of the, the statement of sorts to – uh, to the casual fan that, hey, Otani, he's here to stay. He, he's the guy now. Yeah, I, I, I'm i a fan. I'm enjoying the whole Shohei Otani. You know, he can pitch, he can hit thing. I'm a little concerned, a little longer season. He hasn't played a full season in the majors yet. You know, he had the shoulder thing last year, and then you know, he just hit, he didn't pitch. And then um, you know, in Japan, they have a shorter, a little bit shorter season. And pitchers pitch every six days, not every five. So I'm interested to see how it works. I mean, the Angels, too, try to work in as many extra days for Otani's starts as they can. And they've been smart with his innings. They don't give him – he doesn't go eight, nine innings. He's only pitching really five or six, sometimes in the seventh. Um, I – I find the whole thing interesting. I also wonder, you're going to see more, more teams catch up to what he can do in the, in the batter's box as well. You're going to get more scouting. You're going to see more advanced scouting. You know, we're going to see pitchers pitching differently. Uh, you know, he hit 33 home runs in the first half. I don't see him hitting 33 in the second half. But that's just simply, that's not a knock on the guy. He's still going to hit over 50, most likely. That's incredible. He's probably going to win the MVP. Um and he's been a great story just because we've never had anybody who was a pitcher and a hitter. 
I mean, you, it, I think their Babe Ruth comparisons are a little too much, though. Yeah, you hear you know Cal Hurd say that they should market him as the you know modern day Babe Ruth and such. No, I mean, that's I, a bit excessive, but I I market him as, as as a as an international player and a player who is you know the face of the game. He's a good looking guy, an athletic looking guy. He can play. Uh, you know, he's got a bat. He can he he he's going to DH. He's going to pitch. There's plenty there to market without having to go to the Babe Ruth thing. I mean. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, 90% of people really don't have a good clue who Babe Ruth really is. Right. Right. They think of I mean, they know, they know the name. They know the name, and he was the really kind of the second American sports um, sports celebrity, if you will. Sure. And probably the biggest one until the 1960s. But we're in 2020, 2021 now, and he's, I mean, it's kind of irrelevant. It's not a fair comparison a hundred years later. Why do we have to compare everything? Just enjoy Shohei Otani for what he is. He's a hell of a baseball player. He is. He's special. And, and I, I really enjoyed this whole – I watched most of the game last night, as we record, um, and I, I really enjoyed watching all these young players. And I watched Home Run Derby. I thought Home Run Derby was more fun. Um, I don't I mean, like this, uh, this bracket format, though. I thought it was better the old way. Well, I, I don't disagree. Um, I thought Salvador Perez got a raw deal. 28, home, of, runs 28 home runs and he loses because he had to go up against Pete Alonso. Um, and I and I'm a I love what Pete Alonso did. I love that he went out there and said, Hey man, I'm gonna own it. This is my event. And he wanted to win, and he made no bones about it. he wanted to win. And he seemed like he was having fun. It seemed like he kind of wanted to play the spoiler. He wanted to go out there and win and have fun with it. And you know, we need some of that in sports. We need guys who, you know, have swag, but then also are getting it done and they're fun. So I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the Pete Alonzo thing. My takeoff of the, of the game itself, the All-Star game itself, it looked dreary because of the uniforms. Man, that's one thing. I horrible. I like about the all-star game in the past is when they would let the guys wear their own <laughs> uniform, you know, yeah. wear that, wear that, uh, that Red Sox uniform and be on the same field as a guy wearing the Yankee pinstripes yeah. and such. I've always thought that was cool. So I, I know I'm older than you, but you know, back when I was a boy, you know, the all-star game was the one time you got to see certain players, you know, you heard about players, but you didn't get to see them all because we didn't have every game on television. Um, or every game streaming. You know, when I lived, you know, I grew up in the Southeast. We got to watch the Braves every night. The Cubs were on WGN. So I knew all those guys were. And then, you know, we actually had that. We actually had Nesson as well. But so I got to watch the Red Sox. But I didn't know. I didn't get to see George Brett play. I didn't get to see a Mike Schmidt play much. And the times we got to see those guys, it's like, oh, wow. Okay, it's the All-Star game. Or maybe some player was having this great first half. And you only read about it in the newspaper. And then you could, and you would see them play in the All Star game. You go, oh, okay, now you have a frame of reference. Um, that's why I liked it when they played their old unis. But Major League Baseball's got to sell merch. But those are some ugly uniforms, and oh. I think that really dragged. I think, I think the, the ugliness of those uniforms made the game look dragged. I think the players looked tired. I think the game was played in that way. I think the overcast of the field. Uh, once the game got started, it wasn't interesting to watch. 
And I don't think that Fox did a very good job, honestly, of, of producing the game. Oh, that National League lineup was just terrible. I mean, it was like, you know, a bunch of Pirates players. and yeah, I've said this for four or five years now. Fans should not be able to vote for the All-Star game. <laughs> yeah. No. Plain and simple. No. It isn't their game. No. We want to see the best players. We want to see the best We want to watch the best players and how many great players didn't play. Now, Mike Trout's hurt. Mookie Betts said he didn't want to play. Jacob DeGrom's having one of the best pitching seasons anyone's ever had opts out of the game. I don't blame players for not wanting to play, but we got guys in this game that don't deserve it. I mean, guys out there play these Pirates players or uh, who was the Mets player? I was like, we, we were talking about that last night. Who are the, who's this person? This person. Like, um, no, we don't have to have a player from every team. I like Whit Merrifield, but Whit had no business being there. No, no. Um, and I would we'll go to the Royals in a second on this, but if you want. But Whit Merrifield does not deserve to be an all-star this year. It's like, no. Uh, there's a lot of guys that deserve. affects uh, perception down the line. We measure for Hall of Fame status. And yes, on all-star games. Our appearances. That's you know that as a big deal. It, it's one of those. So I'm a big baseball guy. I love the history of baseball. Willie Mays played in 24 all-star games. 24. You tell me the player right now is going to play 24 All-Stars. Not even Mike Trout will do that. If Mike Trout played 27 years, he won't play 24 All-Stars. Right. And he's the best player of all time, possibly. So I I don't know. I, I What I did like about the All-Star game was them showing a lot about Guerrero, a lot about Otani, a lot about Fernando Tatis. Um, you know, talk about these young guys. Um, but, man, one, there's a couple of things I didn't like. I didn't like him talking to Freddie Freeman while he's in the batter's box. Don't don't mic him up in the batter's box. You can't focus and hit when someone's talking in your ear. They had, they had uh, a, a couple uh, F-bombs and GDs drop live on yeah, Fox. Dude, I, a- I don't mind if Freddie Freeman's at first base and he's he's talking to him and whatnot. That's fine. But, man, he's got go to the, he's got to go to the plate and bat. Take the damn thing off him or mute it or something. Don't make him have to hear. Think about this. Could you hit a baseball? Could you do anything if in your ear you had to hear um, Joe Buck? Um, well, I have to deal with producers in my ear all the time. But now Joe Buck? Uh-huh. Joe Buck talking about a commercial while you're trying to hit a fastball? I can deal with that. Uh, but I'm the exception, not the rule. You, you do a little something different than the rest of us. I would be upset. Um well, it's I, like uh, here's a good here's a good example. Um, don't we all hate when we go to a sporting event and and this more so happens at the high school and junior high level when we run into happen to run into the the dickwad that is on the PA mic and decides he wants to do P do play by play on the PA. PA. Everyone hates yeah. that guy. That guy is the worst. Yeah, that that is pretty bad. I mean, you, you're supposed to say you know. John Smith for the carry, six-yard gain, second down. Yeah, not – not what a great carry. No, get the hell off. Yeah, get out of here. You know, that's – but, yeah, I just – I thought that as much money as Fox spends on this, I thought last night's presentation of the game was not very good. Yeah. I thought it was boring. Yeah. And you should – the All-Star game exciting. And you this got a chance for everybody. With fans and everything, I mean, it was kind of a letdown. Denver looked great. It's better than the night before, I think, on home run dirt. 
but the fans seemed like they were prepared. I, I've been to an all-star game and I've been to home run derby with both of them here in Kansas City. I will tell you as a fan, the better experience far and away is home run derby. The problem with the all-star game is kind of Super Bowl, where so many of the seats are corporate seats. Yeah. They're given away to corporate partners and they're not baseball fans. Right. And so it makes it for less of a sports feeling than just kind of a show. And I don't watch the game. Right. right. The, the best part of the all-star game is when they're announcing the, the players and to see what, who the fans boo. Right. What's well, like uh, all the Yankees? Good, I was watching that. Uh, I was watching the Euro final the other day, and they're showing these crowd shots, and I see like you know Prince Harry or David Beckham and all these others wearing their you know suit and ties and all that. I'm like, I, I know that's Europe and such, but like that that that's not what a sports atmosphere should be, no matter who you are. No, I, I will guarantee if I'm ever rich and famous, which I won't ever be, but if I ever was, if I was ever president. I would wear a jersey to a ball game. <laughs> yeah. If I had to throw out the first pitch, I wouldn't be in a suit and tie or the jacket. I'd be like, okay, you know, which team do I want to root for? All right, I'm rooting for this team. All right, give me the jersey. I'm right. going to wear a jersey. You know, if you know, if you're back up and you're going to that, you know, wear some, wear a hat for the team you're going to support, or you know, wear something. Yeah, suit and tie to a ball game. Get the hell out of here with that. I. I saw last night we were watching the, and they showed up in the, the box where the commissioner was and there's Cal Ripley in a suit and tie. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I get it. But hey, but you're Cal Ripken. Right. Put a fucking Orioles hat on. <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Show that you, you care. Know, you know, if you're Big Poppy and you're there, put a Red Sox hat on. If you're, if you're Derek Jeter, I guess you're with the Marlins now. But, you know, it, but still, I mean, I just – I agree with you. They didn't make that game very fan friendly at all. The um, home run derby was so much better. Yeah. Um, if I was going to choose to go to one ever again, it would be definitely be home run derby. So as we uh, as we kind of wrap up, you know, the the All Star game always kind of signifies the the halfway point of the uh, MLB season. Bo, uh, how are we feeling? Uh, just where, where things are, are headed uh, here in this uh, this postseason? Do, do you think that there's one clear uh, cut team above the rest? Uh, wh- wh- what do you make of just kind of where we're at right now? Well, if you look at records alone, it's kind of unbelievable. The Giants and the Red Sox have the best records in each league. Who saw that coming? Uh, yeah, the shit. I mean, I'm a Red Sox fan. I feel them to finish fourth in the division. Um, the the Giants also the, to me is a bigger surprise. There, that's a team I did not see coming at all. Um, if I had to pick one team, it'd be the Dodgers. I mean, they're just loaded. Um, I, I still think the Dodgers and the Padres are both going to pass the Giants in the second half in the NL West. I expect both of them to get into the playoffs. Um, I'm interested to see. I think we're going to see something these next three weeks. Uh, trade deadline will be coming up. Who's a buyer? Who's a seller? You know, are the Cubs going to sell off Rizzo or, or Bryant or both? That's kind of the stuff that's coming up to see what's going to happen. Do the Nationals fall back and then unload Max Scherzer? Um, you know, that's kind of the play to look at baseball-wise these next few weeks. And then, you know, in the, in the National, again, I think it's those two teams in the West, the Padres and the Dodgers. I, 
I wouldn't want to play either of them in a short series. Um, in the American League, they'll get hot at the right time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're they're both loaded, and the Dodgers especially. I mean, the Dodgers one through twenty five is an amazing, amazing team. I mean, that's just one of the most talented baseball teams you'll ever see. Um, and then you look in the American League. It's like the, you look at the American League East, especially. I mean, the, the Central is pretty much a foregone conclusion. The White Sox are going to win that. The West is still interesting because the uh, A's and the Astros will go back and forth. Um, I expect the White Sox will be there. It'll probably be even a little better. But I'm wondering what's going to happen in the East. I mean, Tampa is really good. And they're nipping at the Red Sox heels. Their Red Sox are not as good as their record is. I mean, but they but they get Chris Sale coming back in a couple of weeks. So now they get a legit ace. And if they add a couple of pieces, which, I mean, they're the Red Sox, they can afford to do, that's a team that can get better quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, the Yankees, I mean, the Yankees season all comes down to four games starting, starting on Thursday night. The Yankees have four games th- Thursday through Sunday against the Red Sox. If they lose three of them, they're out. Mm-hmm. Plain and simple, out. And because they'll be 11 back. Yeah. Um, and they're just not going to catch up. The team that I kind of got my eye on there, though, in the American League East is Toronto. I just think that there's a fascination with those four teams in the East. They're all good. Everybody's Yeah, the Yankees have, a, have probably the most talented team, but the Rays just have done something amazing. They don't have a superstar on the team, but they're great as a team. The Red Sox have – two or three ascending really great players. Right. And then they add a, a future Hall of Famer and Chris Sale coming back. And then you've got Toronto that's just loaded with young players. That's a team that could be fun to watch the next couple of I years. I think Vlad Jr. is going to be better than his dad. He, that's a, that's a, he's awesome. He's awesome. That's a lot. That's a, that's a tough road to hoe, though. His dad was incredible. His dad was. But his I like dad was incredible. Dad. And, and, and Vlad Jr. is fun to watch. And the kid to also watch the team is Bo Bichette, Dante Bichette's son. Yes. And then they have Kevin Biggio. They, they have like every great player's son on that team. Yeah. Craig Biggio's son, Dante Bichette's son, and Vladimir Guerrero's son. And they're all starters. They're all really good. They added George Springer to that team. That's a really good team. Uh, one time, quick story before we uh, bring in Joe here. Uh, I was at the MLB Network Studios uh, in uh, Secaucus, New Jersey, uh, hanging out with Harold Reynolds. And uh, this was when uh, uh, Bichette was making his debut with the, uh, the Blue Jays. And uh, the game was just getting started. And I guess Harold had known the Bichette family and he just hops during a commercial break, calls Bichette's wife at the game, just checking in, being like, uh, oh, exciting day for you guys, huh? You know, and, and she picked up, and they talked during a commercial break. And then, like, uh, that, then he talked about his call when he came back on air. One of the coolest things I've ever seen. <laughs> but that's uh, cool stuff there. We'll go ahead and move on, and uh, we will uh, bring in Joe Scanlon, on the other side, we'll have Coach Bo's football fix coming up in just a bit and have our Town Fulbury Story of the Week as well. Stay with us here on the Jones Report. <laughs> Joining us now on the Jones Report this week, it is Joe Scanlon. He is with the NBC station in 
uh, Hastings, Nebraska, part of the uh, great television family. And I literally just met this guy last week and we're already like best friends in uh, just a short amount of time. And uh, Joe joins us now. Joe, appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us, man. How's it going? Dude, it's going great. Yeah, he's not wrong. We literally are like best friends now. Like we, we bonded a lot on that golf course out in Council Bluffs, Iowa. I mean, shoot. And uh, it was it was a great day, though. And yeah, dude, you, you, you're a cool guy. So like it, this, this is what this is a business, folks. This is how you make connections. And look at us now. We're going to I'm on the podcast. Look at us. Right. Yes. Uh, Joe, uh, tell the folks about your background, man. Uh, you're, you're a UT guy, which uh, we won't hold against you. Just horns down. Uh, <laughs> oh, but, uh, God, of course. Tell people uh, where you came from and such, how you ended up in Hastings. Okay, so I'm from Arlington, Texas, and um, I went to school in Beloit, Wisconsin, uh, played baseball up there for a couple of years. I uh, ended up transferring back home to UT Arlington, so I didn't go to the UT, unfortunately, uh, horns up. And uh, once I graduated, I got a job as a news uh, sports hybrid uh, reporter in Ardmore, Oklahoma. Uh, worked there for about a year and a half, and now uh, I got the job as the weekend sports anchor here in uh Hastings, Nebraska. So I've just I've traveled all over the the Midwest, I guess. Yeah, you uh, you've been <laughs> the whole nine yards and such, and uh, you share. W- w- although you're a Texas guy, and I do hold that against you, you still we share the the love for Whataburger. So at least there's common ground there. Oh man, you cannot beat a good Whataburger at any time of the day because it is 24 hours and I that's the one thing I miss the most being here in Nebraska it's it's being able to to just you know be hungry at 1 a.m and go oh you know what's open oh Whataburger's open let me go grab myself a Whataburger and a Dr. Pepper but uh you know we 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 survive in advance Tyler yes you know I'm headed to Phoenix this week and I already mapped out the Whataburger locations close to my hotel. I'm already. Are they really? Are they branching out already? Wow. How about that? Because I, I know when I was growing up, it was Texas, of course, and then Oklahoma, a couple in Louisiana, maybe one or something in Arkansas, and I think there were a couple in Florida. But like they're they're moving west now. Yeah, yeah, they're all over Arizona now. And wow. Mexico. <laughs> wow, that's that's great. I mean, In and Out came east. I guess Whataburger's going west. All right. Yeah, and so I've already like mapped out a plan of how many Whataburger visits I'm going to make. You know, we're, we're going all out. So, yeah, you better believe it. Uh, Joe, tell me uh, about uh, what, first off, just kind of what you're following there in, uh, in Hastings, uh, big Husker country, of course. Uh, what's kind of the, the feeling towards uh, football this fall here? I think, uh, I think Huskers fans are really hoping that they win more than four games. Um, honestly, and this, this may just be because of just how loyal this fan base is. And honestly, I respect the hell out of the Huskers fan base because they have not been very good since probably what the Big 12 championship game against uh, Colt McCoy back in 20, uh, uh, 2009. Um, and they just continue to show up to a Memorial Stadium and support their team. And you just got to respect yeah, I respect that. I mean, that's – and so, like, Huskers fans, I have all the love for y'all. As far as the team goes this year, they actually – they actually might surprise some people. And it's going to be based on the play of Adrian Martinez, uh, of course. Um, but they have a pretty good uh, backup uh, kid. He's actually from Kearney um, – Kearney, not Kearney High. Kearney Catholic. Um, his name escapes you. I'm still trying to get to know all the people around here, you know, being – Fresh, fresh year in Central Nebraska, but they have some good options at quarterback. Um, they've just picked up that five-star defensive back from Ohio State. So 
I, I, you know, I, I think the Huskers have a little bit of positivity to, to look forward to, but they got a tough schedule, man. They got to play Michigan at home. They got to play Ohio State at home. I mean, that's it's going to be tough for them, but 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 I think the Huskers are actually what well, might surprise some people this year. And they're actually going to go ahead and play Oklahoma here after uh, much controversy. Yeah, I, I tried to not uh, I tried to not mention that game because I don't think it's going to go well for the Huskers uh, going to Norman, which I've been in that stadium multiple times, and it's 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 an experience. It's an experience, um, and. And it's not it's not easy to play there unless your name's Kansas State. But I mean, uh, it's yeah. Sorry, Tyler. I had I had to, Tyler. I had to. Hey, I think I think it that hurts. quarterback. I think the, I think Skylar Thompson uh, graduated, so I think you're okay. It's so true. It hurts. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it, like I said, they could surprise me. Honestly, if they go into Norman and upset Oklahoma, like I'm just gonna, I don't, I don't know. I might just lose my mind because that's. I, no one's going to give them a chance. Honestly, I bet the spread's going to be at least 14, if not more. So, so, but that's another big game on the schedule. And then, yeah, Iowa, I think they play near the end of the year. And they play Wisconsin at the end of the year. And that'll be a big game, of course, up in Camp Randall. So, yeah. Are, uh, are you going to be the next AD at Nebraska? Am I going to? No, I am not. Uh, would I like to be? Honestly, that's a nice salary. And uh, you get, you know, you get the perks of going to all the games and, and making decisions and, and uh, okay, you know what? Just for that reason, I'm out. I don't want to make this. I don't want to have to be the one to fire Scott Frost after this year. Okay. <laughs> so are you calling that? Is that going to happen? I, I I'm not going to call it, but this is his do or die year. This is just like Tom Herman at Texas. Um, after after the fourth year, you got to be doing something, and it's a little different than Tom Herman because Nebraska isn't winning as many games. But if you're not producing you're going to find yourself out the door. That's just how – that's how football works. That's how coaching works. So you mentioned Tom Herman. I think that's a good transition for us over to uh, the Big 12. Start, let's go ahead and start with your Longhorns there. Uh, what do you think of uh, Sarkeesian coming in? I, I feel like going from Herman to Sark is like going from Applebee's to Chili's. I know. You, you said that when we met last Tuesday, and I just – I don't get why why you say that. Sarkeesian the and people – they're not. They're not the same guy, and, and this is why they're not the same guy, Tyler. Uh, they, so everyone, when you talk about Steve Sarkeesian, they bring up the alcohol problems, and it's very unfortunate. But well, it's true. They do. as soon as soon as he got the job at Texas, people said he's going to be able to hold it off with all those boosters on his back, which is true. The boosters at Texas, while great because they have a lot of money to throw at, you know. Uh, the, the 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 program and now they can throw money at the players and uh that helps they are also very insufferable and pushed mac brown out the door back in 2012 i think 2013 so i mean it, it, it people are not i'm gonna say they're warranted with those you know false like those assumptions and stuff but you look at his look at his track record look at him at washington he took a team that was winning one or two games a year he turned them into a bull a bull team he goes to USC. The USC was struggling. He turns them into a bull team. And then, of course, the issues happen, and he gets himself better. He goes to Alabama. He becomes a part of a juggernaut that produces, you know, producing talents like Devontae Smith, uh, Najee Harris. He turned Mac Brown uh, – not Mac, Mac, Mac Brown, my bad. Mac Jones into – he was a three-star coming out of high school. He was a Heisman finalist this past year. 
when you talk, I have friends who are Alabama fans, and when I asked them about Mac Jones before this last year, they said, well, you know, he'll get us to our, our next – they have a good stud freshman that's coming up. He would, they were like, he's a good transition. You know, maybe we'll, we'll still compete for the championship because we have, you know, weapons all over the place. But no, I don't think anyone expected Mac Jones to be as good as he was, and it turned him into a first-round draft pick. And I think a lot of that has to do with Steve Sarkeesian. So – that's why I'm excited because we have two good young quarterbacks in Casey Thompson and Hudson, especially Hudson card. Um, I think Sarkeesian coming in, uh, getting his philosophy, getting his schemes into the system. I think he's going to succeed at Texas. I really do. I, I don't think it'll be this year. I, and I'm planning on maybe a seven, eight win season, but I think in the next few years, it's going to be a lot different than Tom Herman, who seemed to just be content with winning a bowl game. And I, I believe in his own words, he said, we just want to compete for the Big 12 championship. And if you're at Texas, you want to win the Big 12 championship, not just compete for it. So Sark has uh, this whole idea of all gas, no breaks. Are those just words or does that actually mean something? I think, well, when he came in and he said that and then he made some of these hires, uh, I think he is all gas, no breaks. Uh, he made uh, some great hires, uh, Kyle Flood as the O-line coach coaching him from Alabama, um, uh, Kwiatkowski from Washington, who shut down Mike Leach's air raid whenever they whenever Washington Washington State played every year. I mean, uh, he's made some really good hires that I think is really going to help this team. And then on the recruiting trail, he's picked up some stud running backs for the uh, 2022 class and 2023 class. Uh, he picked up Malik Murphy, good uh, five-star quarterback out of California for the 2022 class. So he he's he's making moves. Honestly, I'm in, I'm impressed with what he did with the 2021 class, considering we lost everybody because they looked at Tom Herman and said he's not the guy. He can't develop players. Um, and then he still was able to pull in a solid class. I mean, that's to me, that speaks volumes. Um, and that's why that's why I think there is an air. I think there's an air of positivity around Texas. You know, like when Tom Herman came in, we were sick of Charlie Strong. So we thought this is the guy, this is the guy. But I think it's a lot, it feels a lot different this time because this guy actually seems like a genuine good guy. Tom Herman kind of seemed like a sleaze bag underneath. And after all the stuff with Ohio State came out, we were like, okay, yeah, he he's kind of a weirdo or whatever. But um, but yeah, the, 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 it's just a different uh, different feel in the air when it comes to Steve Sarkeesian. So um, like I said, we're, we're hopeful, but uh, you, you'll never know until you uh, play the game. So it's got to wait till fall. Are you still going to live by the Tom Herman hydration chart? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh my, I thought oh, that, and people love to make fun of him for that. Um, it's true though. Hey, stay hydrated. I mean, Hey, dehydration sucks. I've been dehydrated. Uh, now, will I be, you know, having to, you know, check myself every time I go to the restroom? No, I'm not going to do that. But, I mean, uh, the fact that they check, I just can't. There was so much wrong with that program with him, especially the – a bad guy. Uh, that <laughs> was my favorite. <laughs> that, yeah, that's – yeah, I'm glad Tom Herman's gone. Let's just say – let's put that – I'm glad Tom Herman's gone, and I'm glad that Mike Yersich is gone because if I saw one more bubble screen, I was going to lose my crap, okay? Uh God. And, and and when he got hired, I was like, oh, the Ohio State offensive coordinator. Like, this will be good, man. And my buddy, who's an Oklahoma State fan, and uh, your switch was at Oklahoma State right. before Ohio State, he goes, he goes, have fun with the bubble screens. And I was like, what do you mean the bubble screens? First down and 10 bubble screen. Second and eight bubble screen. I'm like, what are we doing here? So, like I said, I think the scheme is going to be better. I think the defense is going to be better. I think I think life's just going to be better. Now, talk to me in about a year, and uh, we'll see if I'm still singing the same tune. But 
Let's just let's give it the ball. Let's see. Yeah, let's see if you can beat Kansas first, and then we'll uh, go from there. Dude, if we if we lose to Kansas again ever in my lifetime, it's, it's over. I'm just never gonna watch the Longhorns again. The first time, the first time, we're all just gonna blame Charlie Strong because it was all Charlie Strong's fault. That whole everything in that time period was Charlie Strong's fault, which sucks because honestly, he seemed like a good guy and he really cared about the players and like their academics and stuff, which is good. You want that in a coach, but just his coaching on the field was just terrible. So. It's like you think, you know, I wish he was better. I wish he had worked out, honestly. Like I said, I think he's a good guy. His coaching, just not great. Yeah, uh, I think that's for sure. Looking at that uh, Big 12 conference, uh, Oklahoma's won how many in a row now? I mean, uh, six. I think six, seven. No, six. I mean, I'm looking at that schedule. I mean, other than K-State, K- I mean, that uh, the OU team – I don't see how they don't make the playoff at this point. Rattler's the real deal. What say you, uh, uh, Joe? Hot take. Hot take. If Rattler doesn't get his mind under control, he's not the real deal. I saw a few times last year where he would get, for lack of a better term, rattled. And when he got rattled, that's when teams came back. Kansas Kansas State game, y'all, they were up, what, 28? 28, right? I mean yeah. – and as soon as he threw an interception, I, I can't remember if it was an interception or a fumble or something, but he the, the body language just dropped. I thought he and was a different quarterback after he got benched against Texas and what he did the second half of the year. I will agree with you on that. I think he did get a lot better. I think that was – I think he needed a wake-up call. He needed a slap in the face because if you watch QB1, you, you'll realize Spencer Rattler is kind of a jerk, honestly. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's a very arrogant quarterback. He knows he's good which, you know, good for him. Like, he is a good quarterback. But football is not just physical. It's mental, too. And if he can't maintain that composure and and maintain um, the, the mental game on the field, then he's not going to be successful. And we've seen a lot of quarterbacks that are great athletic specimens, but they don't have the mental game and they don't pan out. And, you know, I think I think you know, a year under his belt, he was a freshman. I think he's going to come back better than ever, probably, and it's terrifying. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, the Oklahomans are going to be in great shape. Uh, the only the only question now is the defense, and that's just what it's been for Oklahoma for how many year, years? Years and years. It's been the defense. So. Yeah, Grant's just made that defense a lot better uh, year by year since he's taken. Yes, I, I think Joe that it's this year. It's Oklahoma and Alabama and then everyone else. I think Clemson takes a bit of Clemson and Ohio State take a bit of a step back this year. I could see that. Um I mean Trevor Lawrence, great quarterback for Clemson. Um uh, I forgot the guy's name on uh, the guy the backup. Uh, and I don't want to butcher his name. So I'm gonna look it up real quick because I don't wanna be that guy. DJ oh I'm still gonna butcher it. Uh Ua Galele. DJ, I'm calling him DJ, but DJ, DJ. Uh, he's, he's the, he was the backup last year for, for Clemson. And uh, he came in, did fairly well when Trevor was out because of COVID. Um, but yeah, I do think they take a step back. I, I think they make the playoff. I think they will be a third or fourth seed then. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I'll agree with you. I think right now it's Alabama and Oklahoma, but the real question is, is it going to be four playoff teams or are they going to, or have they decided, is that going to be for 2022? I mean, cause uh, they, 2023 they, at the earliest, 2023 at the earliest. So congrats to Oklahoma and Alabama and all those guys, you're going to make the playoff every single year now. <laughs> if you weren't already pretty much making it already. Uh, every yeah. Year. 
So, so Dave, do you so Tyler, do you think this is the year that Oklahoma finally wins a playoff game and gets people off their backs? Uh yeah, I think uh I think Oklahoma's gonna win the national championship this year. Uh, wow. Okay. I, I think it's gonna be Oklahoma and Alabama. I think Oklahoma's the most complete team in the country right now. And I don't say that I don't I'm not the type that picks Oklahoma every year either. You know, I mean, I it's I have to be very convinced and I like what I'm seeing from this Oklahoma team in particular with how much they've gotten better on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, I mean, like you said, uh, you know, Grinch has done a good job of bolstering that defense, but Hey, October 2nd, man, going to Manhattan. <laughs> yes. Better, better hope that's not a night game. You better hope to God that's not a night game in Manhattan. Bad things, bad things seem to happen during night games in Manhattan. So the last time I went to an OU game in Manhattan, OU won 52 to nothing. So I figure I probably just, if this national championship run is going to happen, if they're going to get through K-State, I just need to go ahead and plan on being in Manhattan. I was about to say, you might just want to get the tickets right now, man. Uh, you, you might need to be there uh, just to – because what they uh, – two years ago when they were in Manhattan, it was the uh, the onside kick that just clipped the OU uh, player. Yes. Um, like literally inches, inches away from probably victory. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, last year. So, yeah, Oklahoma's going to be mad. They're going to – honestly, I could see them probably smack in Kansas State just because they're, they're pissed. <laughs> yeah, K-State's going to be down a bit too. Um, so, yeah. yeah, no Skylar Thompson. or I mean, He could come back, I think, because of COVID eligibility. But, I mean, I don't, I don't know what he's going to do. Otherwise, I mean, Texas is always a big game. Because the, that game is always usually up in the air, just because it's a right, it's a big rivalry game, the Cotton Bowl. Everyone, everyone's cheering loudly, you know. Um, and it even because even when Texas has a bad team, Charlie Strong beat Oklahoma. I mean, so that game's always up in the air. But you can, as we've seen, you can make the playoff on one loss. Other than that, I mean, I don't know. Tulane, man, Tulane might be scary. Maybe, maybe they they run that uh, spread option uh, that Willie Fritz has got there to lane. Uh, it's be... into it's into lane too. That's interesting that they didn't just have a home game with that. I guess you always get one non-conference on the road. Well, and, like... and you want to reward your fans with some road trip. Uh, Labor Day weekend in New Orleans isn't too bad. I'm gonna make that trip myself. So are you really? There you go. Hey, yeah, you can. That's not a bad gig at all, man. <laughs> I will be I will be here in Central Nebraska because we'll have high school football and I believe Nebraska's home that day. So, yay! I think they're uh, playing Fordham. <laughs> Joe, uh, I know you're watching the uh, NBA Finals. What do you think of where uh, things stand right now with the uh, Suns up two one? I think the Suns got it. Suns in five. Honestly, I wish it was Suns in four because that's just become the rallying cry for that whole fan base, and I love it. It's the greatest thing I've ever seen. Um, the Bucks really came out though this last game. I mean, one twenty to what was it one twenty to one hundred or something. I mean, that's you know that's a statement win, and that's a state that's a win that says we're still here. That's uh honestly, if we're being honest, kind of feels like a, a 06 Mavs Heat kind of win where the Mavs were up two nothing and then the, the Heat took Game Three and then just went on from there. But um, We'll have to see how game game four goes. I think I think like I said, I think the Suns having the bag. CP3 is playing out of his mind because he wants a ring, and you know he should he should get a ring. I mean, say what you want about him flopping, everybody flops. I mean, that's the NBA now nowadays. But um, I think I think the Suns are going to take it honestly. 
Yeah, uh, I do too. I, I will say I'm so impressed, though, with what Giannis has done off the injury to be at this point. Uh, you know, he's fourth all time in his first three career NBA Finals games. Uh, I mean, what, what he's done, he's not 100%. Um, it, it's just a matter of everyone else stepping up, and they didn't get that from everyone else in uh, those two other games. Right, exactly. I mean, Chris Middleton uh, needed to step up, and I, I believe he did in uh, in Game Three. I actually didn't get to really watch a lot of Game Three. I think I was working actually. You know, the life of a sports anchor—you get to miss journal, sports. Yeah. So, um, um, and uh, let me see. In Game Four, yeah, Game Four is uh, tomorrow. But uh, yeah, no. If, if everyone steps up, like with the with the way the Bucks work, is Giannis can't carry that team himself. Um, he's gonna need help. And and when he gets the help, you see what happens. They win by 20. So that's going to kind of be the name of the series. It's going to be who who gets the help. And, I mean, with the Suns, you have CP3 and Devin Booker. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it, it's going to be very interesting. And I will be watching the game tomorrow. I'm actually off, thank God. So, uh, yeah, I'll get to watch Giannis take 15 seconds to do a free throw. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that feels like an eternity waiting on him to uh, shoot free throws. Um, this this Suns team, uh, Joe, I, I love what Monty Williams has done of this kind of old school basketball. We've seen so much that the game has tried to mimic what the Warriors have been doing, but the uh, the Suns, you know, led by Chris Paul at that point guard spot, it's like going back in a time machine almost. It almost is, and it's nice that they didn't really make a super team to get to the final. That's that's um, that's kind of it. it kind of turned me off from basketball. I wasn't the biggest basketball guy before, you know, the super teams and stuff. But like once the super teams started forming, I kind of it just turned me off to it. I'm like, it, so it's just an arms race. Is that what it is now? So it's good to see teams like the Bucks, teams like the Suns in the finals because it's proving that you can still build a team of you know talented guys but they don't have to be, you know, all-stars and, and they can still succeed. So it's fun watching DeAndre Ayton, uh, Devin Booker, CP3. Um, uh, I, I, that's really all I can name off the sun. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's good watching guys that um, they didn't acquire through, tra- uh, through like, free agency. Right. They didn't coach them, you know, something like, like LeBron going to Miami, you know, stuff like that. So that, that's, that's been refreshing to see. Well, and uh, you mentioned DeAndre Ayton. Uh, you as a Dallas guy, I think you'll appreciate this. I, I was thinking back to, you know, when it comes to the finals, you you have to have, you know, that guy that steps up considerably from the regular season to the postseason. For them, it's been DeAndre Ayton with uh, how much he's emerged, how much he's come along here, looking like one of the best centers in the league. To me, I, I think for Dallas, uh, you know, the, the, the one championship they got was in large part to – the way Tyson Chandler and uh, J.J. Barea stepped up in that run. I think that's what the Suns are kind of getting here with uh, DeAndre Ayton here. No, that's exactly that's exactly what I think is. And honestly, now you mentioned it, I do see a little bit of similarities between DeAndre Ayton and Tyson Chandler. Um, but yeah, like you said, the Mavs, the Mavs didn't have a super team, and they beat a super team. And that's because Dirk's a god, and uh, that's non-biased, of course. And, uh, and then, like you said, Tyson Chandler stepped up, J.J. Barea stepped up, Jason Terry stepped up. Um, I think Jason Kidd was playing on that team too. Was, so, I mean, like, it's, yeah. So, like, yeah, I mean, when you have a team that has one or two superstars and then the rest of the role players step up, you're going to win championships. It's just a proven fact. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. A few more things before we uh, we go here, uh, Joe. Uh, you gonna be watching the British Open uh, here? What what do you make of uh, what's to come there? Um, I'll I'll watch a little bit. Um, I usually don't watch too many golf uh, tournaments. I'll of course I'll watch the Masters. Um, I like watching the Colonial because that's one of my courses near my home. Uh, out in Fort Worth, but um, British Open, I, I think, is Brooks and Bryson playing? Because honestly, I just want to see them go at it. <laughs> right, yes, Brooks and Bryson will be playing. Oh, please put them in the group together. I just, that's, that's I think that's what we all want. That's all, that's a, I think that's just what America, that's not, I, think, I don't even think this, I think the world wants it at this point because just the banter between them is so hilarious. Um, you know, for those who don't know, I mean, like, you know, Bryson, clacking on the concrete with his metal spikes that drives me insane because no one wears metal spikes anymore in golf. Um, and then of course, Brooks with the, with the, the infamous meme face and then uh, people yelling Brooksy at Bryson and getting kicked out of, uh, was it the travelers? Yeah. Um, and then bright uh, Brooks going on Twitter and saying like, Hey, if you got kicked out, man, beer on me, and, like sending people be like, it's just a great, it's, it's honestly made golf a lot more fun, I think. And more, uh, it, uh, more approachable for the younger generation because, you know, who doesn't like beef, right? I mean, it's always fun when you're not in the middle of it to you go, oh, you know, oh, look at that comeback and stuff like that. So, so I'm hoping, I'm hoping we get a little bit of drama between them out there. But in all honesty, um, I think, uh, I think, I mean, Bryson, Bryson played well in the match. Uh, Brooks, of course, still, I don't know if he's still dealing with the injury or whatnot, but he hasn't been up quite up to snuff. Um, Rory, I think Rory's going to compete for this as well. And then, um, uh, yeah, man, I think, I think it'll be interesting to see because honestly, we always throw out these favorites and then sometimes just a person out of nowhere comes in and wins the, uh, wins the, the tournament. And it's like, that's, that's another reason why I love golf because you could be a guy that has only competed in maybe a couple, uh, uh, a couple tournaments and just go and you defeated the top 10 golfers in the nation or not the nation in the world. So it's like, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned uh, Brooks and Bryson and I look at those two, Joe, the, the thing that, that I like about this back and forth is it's genuine. It's not manufactured. These, these two really don't like each other. Yeah, no, it's, uh, Brooks. They, they hate each other and that's, Oh, I love it. I love it because and honestly, if we're being honest, Bryson, Bryson kind of sucks. And that's just I mean, me being a Brooks fan, I guess, take my word with a grain of salt. But, but like I said, metal spikes, that's annoying. And then just the, the way he approaches the game, it's like I'm going to drive it 500 yards and then miss my putts. Like, dude, that's not how you – like, you got to be solid on all your clubs. You can't just drive it and then pray your chip goes in or pray you don't two-putt, you know. So I feel like – Brooks has a more complete game. Of course, Bryson's, you know, it's literally the phrase drive for show, putt for dough. That's what Bryson is. He can drive and look cool and ripped and stuff, and that's great and all, but Brooks will beat him on the course because he'll have a better putting game or a better short game. So, Oh, man. You know, uh, you and I were talking earlier about the uh, the home run derby, and 
I'd like to see a long drive challenge. Uh, maybe everybody but but Bryson could be involved in some sorts. <laughs> that see, he would win that, so that that'd be pretty funny. Honestly, they should do like something like that at a tournament. I think that I and honestly, I think the little competitions they did with the match, you know, I think those are fun. I like closest to the pin on a hole or um, something like that. You know, it, like just some little side bets, and maybe that's just the gambler in me talking. I don't know, but I think as a fan, it's fun to watch them compete on these little basically side quests if you're a video gamer i mean it's it's it, it, it makes it more interesting than just guys whacking the ball around 18 holes a day you know yeah um uh, speaking of the uh the home run derby what would you think of uh pete alonzo's win uh i, I felt bad for salvador perez uh, this stupid bracket format and he has all those homers and he's, and he's out in the first round yeah no it the bracket formats i mean i, I like the time concept because otherwise you're going to have a dude like i mean who 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 hit 30 did trevor story hit 35 someone hit 35 in the first round yeah trevor story did yeah, yeah trevor story did i thought that's what i thought like if that if there's no time limit there he's gonna he's gonna be hitting for like 30 minutes i mean like it's it's uh the time format's great i think they need to do away with the bracket because i mean look at soto and shohei like that was great that was Classic entertainment. I mean, Shohei coming back from what 15 down with like a minute left, mm -hmm. uh, and then the to the swing off, and Soto gets all three. I mean, dude, that's that's really must watch television. And so, I, I'd like to see them do away with the bracket but keep the time format. But I mean, with Pete Alonso's win, I don't know how you could do that to a cancer survivor. So, Pete Alonso, you're kind of on the craft list right now, man. I was really rooting for Trey Mancini, like. <laughs> His comeback story—that would have been perfect. That would have—that would have been a that would have been a Disney movie right there if he had won the home run derby. But um, uh, he gave it his best shot and just Pete's—you know what it was? It was Pete's batting practice pitcher. Because if you look at the someone drew up the chart of the pitches, they are all dead set in the middle, thigh high. Yeah. That man did not miss his spots at all. And so you know that—that's kind of how you win the home run derby. It's not just hitting the home run; it's—it's it's having the right pitch to hit the home run. So. Yeah. And uh, and Shohei, uh, man, what what a story he's had this year. Uh, even if uh, he needs an interpreter, we won't hold that against him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Stephen A. <laughs> Stephen A. That's just insane, so. man. I mean, he, he, he's. Uh, I'm not an Angels fan by any means, Joe, but I mean, Shohei's quickly becoming my favorite player in baseball right now. I mean, uh, I, I don't need him to speak English. Everything's good with me. <laughs> yeah. No. And well, and that's that's just. And what I think I saw, uh, oh, was it? It was Ichiro, I think. And Ichiro came out after that and said, you know, the reason we speak Japanese is because we want to connect with our fans back home. Right. And Shohei can speak English. Like he, he has to communicate with his teammates somehow. I mean, it's it, it's it's broadening the game and and broadening the horizons and and reaching that audience over in Japan. And you know, people in Japan, well, I'm sure a lot of them know English. It's nice to hear someone, one of your countrymen, speaking your home language as they absolutely obliterate the MLB. So, like, they, they the, the whole translator thing's stupid. It's not a big deal. And I'm excited to see him pitch and hit tonight in the uh, All-Star game. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Uh, Joe, before we go, where can people follow you and see what uh, you got going on in Hastings, man? So uh, you can find me on Twitter. It's at Joe Scanlon, S-C-A-N-L-A-N-T-V. And then uh, on Instagram, it's Joe underscore Scanlon TV. 
and uh, Facebook, Joe Scanlon. I mean, yeah, I'm all over. I have a TikTok too. I'm not going to give that out because I don't, I don't post TikToks. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not one of those cool sports anchors that's doing TikTok all the time. But, uh, but I do, I do tweet a lot of good content, and uh, uh, there's some good, uh, good stuff in the works that I got coming up. So I uh, definitely are going to want to check that out. And uh, still waiting on that blue check. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk. It's coming, man. It's they said that Grace said they applied for me, so it's it's coming. And honestly, I guess now they've reopened verification, so I might just apply for myself. So <laughs> maybe we'll two, just we'll two blue checks. You know, <laughs> the first man with two blue checks. Oh, that'd be <laughs> that that would get me some followers. But uh, but yeah, well, the verification is coming, folks. Don't don't worry. We'll, don't worry. we'll get it. <laughs> sooner than later uh joe appreciate the time thanks for joining us uh horns down boomer we'll talk again soon all right man thanks for having me coach bow is back with us for coach bow's football fix presented by o'connor advisory group you can find o'connor advisory group online oagks.com o'connoradvisorygroup.com also by phone 785-856-0720 that's 856-0720 to schedule an appointment today. Also by email, brian.o'connor at lpl.com. That's brian.o'connor at lpl.com. Brian with a Y, not an I, uh, is uh, where you can find him there. And also the O'Connor Advisor Group Facebook page. Bo's back with us. Bo, what's going on uh, at uh, OAG this week? Hey, man, we are staying busy, but we'd love to talk to more people. Hey, a big one this week is um, we're coming toward the end here. Special enrollment for Medicare and, uh, and uh, any of your insurance plans are coming up. If you'd like some help or a free review, we've got a great strategic partner we can help you with on that. And then it just helps us get you in a lot of different areas and help you with a lot of that plan. So if you know somebody's in retirement thinking about that or hey, to my young people, you know, I was talking to somebody recently about how I'm in my mid 40s. I know I'm a lot older than a lot of people listen to this pod. But um, your group, your people who are in your 30s and your 20s, you're not going to work for one company your whole life. So you're not going to have a pension plan. And you're not going to have a 401k in the same 401k for 30 or 40 years. So what do you need? You need someone to be your partner and to advise you on how to plan for your retirement, your kids' education, and your future. Let us be your partner. Let me be your partner. Let us help you out. No matter if you're getting started with $100 a month or $500 a month or a thousand bucks a month, it doesn't matter. We want to help you. We want to be your partner now, the future, and forever. There you have it, O'Connor Advisor Group. We want to be your partner. Check them out, O'ConnorAdvisorGroup.com. All right, Bo, let's start out with uh, Frank Clark of the Chiefs. He's uh, facing a felony weapon charge. And, you know, just on a football front, uh, you know, obviously you, you let the legal process play itself out. And this is in the state of California. So uh, with this being, you know, the, the, a second offense for him, this could mean, you know, more as far as punishment wise, you know, not only just the state, but also the, the, the time that it's happened. You know, all those things are, you know, uh, factor in here. But as far as the football field goes, Yes, he did not play great last year. But the year before, the Chiefs don't win the Super Bowl without Frank Clark. Plain and simple. He was very much needed uh, for that Super Bowl run. And although he gets paid a lot, he is still a force for what the Chiefs need to, 
to to do to compete. We've seen when he's been out how much the Chiefs are affected without him here. If Frank Clark is not available to play this year, do the Chiefs have time? Can they can they work around that, or can you can you write off the Chiefs if they don't have Frank Clark? I don't know that you write the Chiefs off because of Frank Clark. Um, it's going to make the job a lot harder. That's for sure. But um, there's kind of a guy named the number one five on his back. But, <laughs> yeah, that I'd write the Chiefs off if he had a gun charge. Um, I'd write society off. I'd write the whole society I off. Mean, I wouldn't, but I had to ask the question. So. If if Mahomes did had a gun charge, I'd be like, okay, that's just the end of the hey, world. Don't shoot the messenger. I just had to ask the question. Yeah. But, you know, Frank Clark, no, it's not the end of the world for the Chiefs. But, man, I just – I root for players. You know that. You know that about me. I root for these young guys. And I, and I want to see them get their money, and I want to see them change their lives because some of these guys – are not only changing their lives, but they're really the lives and the futures of their families. Right. And I like Frank Clark makes way too much money to be doing stupid shit like this. And a second time, uh, I'd have to look at the salary cap piece to see if it's worth it, but man, it might be worth it for the chiefs to cut loose. If he has another problem like this, I don't know what the implications would be. I'd have to look it up and I'm not going to do that right now, but um I just think that it's a shame. I hate seeing players get into this because this situation is where you have a situation where a player, you know, has a chance to do things the right way, makes a mistake, atones for it, but makes the same stupid mistake again. It's like, come on, man, can we do something here? Um, yeah, I, I'm kind of flabbergasted at this point. Yeah. Uh, now – as far as uh, you know, what the Chiefs do from here, you're talking about if you cut him, it's about a $20 million cap hit uh, if you move on from Frank Clark. And then as far as replacing him goes, I know that the Chiefs have had a good defensive line, but it just does not seem like that there is an immediate fix of some sorts out there. I think there would be a big problem. There would be a glaring weakness if you don't have Frank Clark involved. Yeah, I mean, it's not an easy fix. Now you've gone to the point of you're going to be in some more shootouts if you don't have a guy like him, no pun intended. Um, oh, God. Um, you went there. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my, my ears are bleeding after that. No. <laughs> But uh, you're gonna be you're gonna have some more higher scoring teams you're playing against, and uh, you know, I just it, it's um, it's not an easy replacement, and it might be signing two players. Honestly, it might be looking at two. Oh, somebody could stop the run. Somebody stop to go to be a pass rusher, and and you're gonna have to find. Obviously, you're gonna have a large large quality quality drop off there. Um, you know, he wasn't great, great last year, but you're right. Two years ago, they don't win without him. Um, I think it's a little different in 2021, but I don't know. I, I hope for Frank Clark's sake and for the chief's sake that things get straightened up. Everything gets put back together and he's all good. And that uh, maybe this is a misunderstanding of some kind. I'm not going to sit here and say, I know, cause I just don't know. But um, man, I just, I hate seeing young people do stupid things, stupid things. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. Um, it, it, it sucks. And, 
And uh, you hated for him and you hated for the uh, Chiefs here to be in that situation. Also, uh, news coming out this morning, uh, Richard Sherman in custody for a domestic violence case. Bo, we're still waiting on a ton of details here. You know, we don't know much about <laughs> it, but nonetheless, kind of like what we said with Frank Clark, another disappointing headline that we, that, uh, we don't like seeing. These things tend to, uh, to happen in the offseason. Uh, we, we, we run into these type of headlines uh, a bit too much. Yeah, I, Richard Sherman has been someone I've always admired and I've always been respected and been a fan of his play on the field, his way he is off the field. I, I'm, this is one of those that I really want to see the, see what's going on. I want to, you know, hear more. I've just gotten you know, an ESPN alert so far and what you've said there. So I'm going to hold back judgment just to see what happens. But um, if what we're hearing is true, it's certainly disappointing. Um, but someone, again, I, I will say I've had a lot of respect for in the past. So I'm, again, I'm hopeful that all sides, this thing is cleared up and it's not as bad as it looks, although the first impressions don't seem very good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that's a, a good way to put it. And, uh, you know, the, the, we, we've seen what he's he's uh, meant for the, uh, the, the 49ers, uh, you know, the since he joined them uh, you know, just a couple of years ago, you know, he just completed his, uh, his third season with San Francisco. What I would say about Richard Sherman, Bo, uh, that's impressed me is here we are 10 years in the league. Cornerbacks don't age that well. Um, you know, I, I would, I would say that this, if he's gone, you know, from a football perspective, this could be a bigger blow to San Francisco than people realize just because he is that rare corner that has had the longevity. His prime has been a little, it has been extended longer than most of that position. Yeah. Well, I think he's actually a free agent right now. I don't think he's actually on the roster um, with the 49ers, but I mean, I think a lot of people expected him to be back. Um, but he, yeah, yeah. He is not signed right now. Um, I, I think that, you know, if anything, this is costing him an opportunity to get on somewhere, probably back with the 49ers, but costing him money. Yeah. He's costing it's certainly going to cost him money. I just, uh, this one kind of breaks my heart a little bit because I've always been a great admirer of his. And I, I sure hope that uh, for the sake of being a fan of his, and this gets cleared up and he doesn't have any problems and uh, things kind of move along and progress. I just, I hate seeing these kind of things with players and, uh, he, he, Richard Sherman is someone who I've long since been impressed with. And you've mentioned, you made a good point about how DBs do age pretty quickly. I mean, he's 10 years in and still really good. Um, you know, he is not the player he was four or five years ago, but he could still be helpful to a lot of teams. Yeah. I mean, he's a, he's a future hall of famer. I think so. Yeah, I do. I think so. Yeah. I mean, how many corners can you name been on the cover of Madden? <laughs> so yeah he's he's had a good run and uh you know hopefully you know things work out and we're certainly thinking of uh all parties involved in uh in this case and we'll continue to follow it as uh, we get more information there Bo I know you are sick and tired of talking about Aaron Rodgers and uh you know every week you know something that is really just nothing but I guess now we're getting close to training camp um does a holdout from Aaron Rodgers at training camp mean anything at all? Nope. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I am sitting talking about Aaron Rodgers. I just, 
I don't think it means a damn thing. I think it helps the Packers. A holdout does. Yep. Here's why. Jordan Love gets reps. Well, then it does mean something. It means Jordan Love gets reps. He's the quarterback 2022. Yeah. He's reps now. Yeah, I mean, you know who you get. You know who Aaron Rodgers is when he walks back in the door. Let him go play all the golf he wants to go play for the next month or so. And he walks in there before, before. I don't care if he walks in there two hours before game time, game week one. He's playing quarterback for the Packers. All right. Yeah. I mean, that's just the way it's going to be. Do uh, are, are you in favor of this uh, this uh, this mullet uh, look in Aaron Rodgers? Uh, I'm not here to tell Aaron Rodgers anything about hair. <laughs> the scraggly looking Aaron Rodgers. I love my wife very much, but Aaron Rodgers has shown that he can get, get ladies. So I'm just not going to bother with trying to insult Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> He's got a very good track record. He's got a track record that I can't uh, share it. So you know what? He do whatever the hell he wants. <laughs> I can't yeah. uh I gotta respect that. Um how about the uh the, the Washington uh football team? Um we know that you know the last you know year two plus has been uh just a, a disaster off the field with you know having to go through the name change and you know the, the Dan Snyder, you know, his staff getting investigated and getting fined by the league and all this. I mean, just this wild ride of chaos that they've been in and now we're hearing that uh that they're looking at a, a new team name next year it won't be the warriors uh Bo, i kind of like the idea of them just being the washington football team yeah, it kind of has a, a soccer feel to it right yeah being a little different i don't i don't mind it um i was thinking about that when i heard that they were they couldn't they didn't want to be the warriors and i was thinking what would be a good name for a team i really couldn't come up with anything i mean I thought about other Washington teams and I was like, well, you know, the nationals, that's pretty decent. You know, the old baseball team was the senators, which I mean, they never, you know, the senators never won. And that's not surprising because senators don't do a whole lot. <laughs> um, you know, I, I don't really know what to do. Uh, what the, what to call a team from, from DC. I would promote their XFL team, bring back the DC defenders. That was a great name. Well, but nobody in DC actually defends anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, some of them can't even defend the Constitution. They sort of defend. <laughs> not a political show. Not a political show. <laughs> uh, so, no, I, you know, I can't think of a good one for them. I, uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm interested to see what they come up with. Um, I think a good, a good idea for them, though, be just to change the colors too. Yeah. To get completely away from their old their old uniforms, their old everything, whether that's be the Washington football team or Washington football club or whatever they want to do, I'd change the colors. I would change everything. I would basically be like a refresh and a restart. Um, I'd, get, I'd get rid of the owner, too. Yeah, I think everybody would. <laughs> uh, I'm glad to get rid of Dan Snyder. Um, now, what we've seen from Ron Rivera since he's come in, you know, he was a big – proponent of you know the name change and you know we saw how much better they played in the second half of the year and winning the division and what he's done to kind of change the culture of some sorts there uh do you think that ron rivera is going to be the guy to lead washington through this or, or or as long as dan snyder's there is that always going to be a problem what, what do you make of what 
Rivera's done with this franchise since he's well, been last year. I think Rod Rivera is a really good coach. I think he's a really good culture person there. Um, you know, but as we say in business, culture begins at the top. And I, I think that Dan Snyder needs to walk away. I don't think that that franchise will ever be what it could be. And it could be, I don't want to say great, but it could be a lot better than it is. And you've got some great things in place. Rod Rivera is a great dude. He's a great leader of men. He's very well respected in and around the league. That was not a bad hire. That's a great hire, as a matter of fact. But um, culture starts at the top. And Dan Snyder is just not the leader that that franchise needs right now. He's always going to be the guy that had this happen and that happen. And whether it was the name and holding out on the name for all those years and some of the issues he had in the front office, the, he would be better off financially. The league would be better off and all, if the all parties just figure out a way for him to walk away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gaming, gaming about the paint. Yeah. Uh, simple as that. I, I think I'm, I'm with you there. I mean, I, I think everybody's getting on the same page. You, you bring in like a Jeff Bezos or something, you know, I mean, yeah. uh, there's, there's, there's a, a lot of potential there to, to do something special that's being untapped because of how much Snyder's holding them back. Yeah. So uh, a couple more things uh, on the, uh, on the football fix. Uh, one, one topic of conversation that, uh, that has kind of come up, almost randomly uh, the uh, the last few days is a debate between Matt Stafford and Dak Prescott uh, of who the better quarterback is. Bo, I- I'm excited to see what Stafford does with the Rams. I mean, I, I think that, you know, Goff was okay, but Stafford's going to take him up a notch. I think he's a lead quarterback in this league. I, I-, I like Dak better, but I, I think that, that Stafford has more potential to take the Rams further on. I, I think they're the second best team in the, in the NFC right now. Wow. I, I, you know, I'm done. I'm sitting here. You brought that up and I'm thinking about it and I'm going, wow, who would I like better? I think it really depends on who you got around them. Um, God, they're, they're completely different types of players. I mean, Stafford's going to sit in the pocket and throw downfield and he's going to rack up a load of yards and, and can score while Dak is more athletic, can get out of the pocket, wants to get out of the pocket, can can beat you with his feet when he needs to. Man, I I think you're splitting hairs. I think I'd take either of them. Uh, if I didn't have a better quarterback, I'd take either. I mean, I don't think there's a wrong answer there. Um, I think they're both they're both in situations that they're more suited for. Okay. That makes sense. Dak's better suited for the Dallas situation and Stafford's better suited for the Rams situation than vice versa. Do you think we see both teams take uh, big steps up this year with their franchises? Do you think that getting Dak back gets Dallas, you know, back up a couple notches? Do you think that Stafford with the Rams elevates them a bit? What's their, I mean, what's their I, fundamental I, impact with those teams? I think Stafford is a big deal to the Rams. I think it makes the Rams the, the to me, the favorite in the West. Um, I think the Cowboys are probably a favorite in their division, but that's more of – that's a really dog <laughs> division. I mean, the Eagles are bad. 
I mean, Eagles are going to be really bad. Um, Washington has got a couple of good young pieces, but I mean, they really don't have a quarterback. They're going to go and fit with Fitzpatrick and quarterback um, and just hope for some, you know, some Fitz, Fitzpatrick uh, magic all season long. It's magic, yeah. And then you've got the Giants who are a train wreck, if you ask me, in many ways. Uh, with what they're doing, I don't know where they're at with some things. But the Cowboys, though, I mean, the Cowboys are still America's team for a reason. They're on every week. Dak's a really good quarterback. They've got a good running game. Their O-line is not as good as it was two seasons ago and three seasons ago. That's going to be a hindrance. Um, I don't know how good their defense is. So I don't know if they make the quantum leap, you know, into, you know, being challenging for this to go to the Super Bowl, but I think both those teams are definitely going to have a chance to win their division. If I had to bet on which one is better, I think it's the Rams. Mostly, I think that defense is spectacular. They have two of the five best defensive players in the league. And then, but going back to your original thing of which one's the better quarterback, I, six and five and pick them. I mean, as far as I'm concerned. And then the other side of it, you know, who takes the leap? I think both teams take a leap. I think both teams win their division. Mm-hmm. But I think the Cowboys are probably a, a likely candidate for an early exit. If I thought one was going to underperform, it would be Dallas. I'll say it that way. <laughs> that give you a better indication of where yeah. I'm going? Yeah. And, if and, and if I think one that... of the two I think is more likely to underperform, I think it's Dallas. And I don't think it's due to Dak. Right. I think it has more to do with the team. Well, who Dallas is. Yeah. You know, Mike McCarthy got exposed, you know, a bit last yeah. year. I mean. Yeah, I think that team wants so bad for the Saints to get rid of Sean Payton. Yeah, and if the Saints have a, another uh, exit like they did last year, they might, you know, say, go ahead and take Sean hey, Payton. As a Saints fan, I'm ready to go ahead and clean house. As long as the GM goes with him. The GM has to go first. <laughs> We, we uh, might have to carry. We might have to carry him out. He might be in a bag. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. A couple yeah. more before uh, we run here, Bo. Um, tell me about this uh, with, with Carl and such here. With oh, Carl Nassib? Yes. Yeah, you know he had a player come out. Yes. Um, and, and that was uh, that was a couple of days ago, right? Carl, it was a couple weeks about a week and a half ago, maybe. Okay. Yeah, Carl Nassib gets on. Uh, was it Instagram or Twitter and? comes out as uh, uh, being a homosexual. And um, I, I'm all for this. I, I think that this is great. I think that, especially in a manly sport, I mean, football is really to be this manly sport where you got to be a tough guy and this and that. And that's always been kind of a, of a, uh, of a taboo subject. And I just think that this is something I just want to say that personally, I support this young man. I think this is fantastic that he's gonna, he feels comfortable enough to come out and say, hey, here's who I am. And the overwhelming support of the players, uh, when I saw what I saw, I think it was on Twitter and Instagram, everything I've seen online, overwhelming support of this young man. Makes me feel really good about the young people in sports right now. That we don't have as much of this uh, arrogant bullshit that we've had in sports, this toxic manhood that we've had in sports for years and really generations. And I, I just felt that was a positive thing. And um, I saw his jersey shot way up in, in jersey, their jersey sales. Um, and that's great. I just, 
that's something I support. And I think it's, it's, it's high time that we get some of those taboos and some of those things out of here. And, and even in sports to say, hey, we can be more accepting. I know there's a certain segment of sports fans that say, hey, stick to sports. But at the same time, when we have a chance to support people and their rights, we should do that. And I think it's another example of I love seeing that some of these young people are taking that leadership role and saying some of these things and, and honoring and, and helping their own. Well, and the way I look at it, Bo, is, you know, there's going to be some folks out there that, you know, will ask, you know, you know, why, why is it matter what someone's, you know, sexual orientation, you know, sexual preference is of some sorts. And what, what my response would be is it's not that it, not that it affects you, but the fact that it might inspire someone else to actually be comfortable with their own skin and actually come out and say something. That's what this is about is that, you know, you know, Carl here can, you know, be an example to those that are, you know, in those, that same circumstance, you know, that, that, that feel that way to be more comfortable, more outspoken than who they are. I mean, uh, you know, the statistics out there show that, you know, LGBT, you know, suicide is, is, you know, tremendously higher compared to, you know, heterosexual, you know, I mean, and, and it's, you know, just, you know, having that, that someone to look up to someone to, you know, that we need more of. Yes. And that's the point. That's the point when someone says, well, stick to sports. No, that's the point. Because what Carl Nassib did by coming out is that some young football player, maybe he's a freshman in high school. Maybe he's a junior in high school. Maybe he's playing on a college campus and he's thinking, God, I'm dealing with all this masculinity and I'm dealing with all this and I can't be who I am. And you have to pretend to be somebody else while doing something that you either really enjoy or love or, and and it's just the supporting of that is where we need to be. And that's where I'm at because if it saves one person's life, it saves one young person's life, whether that be a young football player, a young athlete. It can be a young lady who maybe is, you know, you know, a, 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 a homosexual as well. And maybe she doesn't feel accepted in her sports. You know, whatever it is, these are the types of things. We're talking about people being role models. But now some people ask for athletes to be a certain type of role model. Well, they have to be quiet. They have to do this. Be a role model. And what Carl Nassib did to me was being a role model. My hat's off to him. Congratulations to you, young man. Thank you. And, and, and to young people out there who see that and go, hey, that makes me feel better. Or if you're a young person and you are going through these feelings and you're not sure, you're still learning how to deal with it and to feel with this way, know there's people out here who support you. Right. And that's that's where I thought that was just a really, really, really good thing. So, yeah, that's well said. Yeah. Uh, last thing before we go here, um, you, you and I kind of talked about this uh, off air. Um, Frank Solich announces his retirement, uh, dealing with some uh, medical issues. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, on the college side of things, very underrated, underappreciated coach. You know, I mean, I live here in, in Omaha and, you know, look at Nebraska football since he left. Uh, you know, I mean, they just – fell apart and you know he had a good thing going there sure he wasn't Tom Osborne but he did a solid job and that Ohio program won a you know won several MAC championships they won some big time games there 
Uh, Frank Saltlich, uh, I mean, a, a very good career. I think that he he doesn't get enough credit for the job that he did and uh, really winning at uh, two programs in two completely different ways there, Bo. Yeah, I've been a, a long admirer of Frank Solich as a coach, a guy that I frankly thought I got, thought got a raw deal at Nebraska. I think if Nebraska could go back and point to the point where they fell off being actual Nebraska football, it was when they fired him after a 10-win season. Um, I think he was a heck of a coach. And, and you're right, he went to Ohio and has been incredible there. He's had a great career there. Um, they've been successful as a program. He's a great coach and a great leader of young people. And, um, I don't, I've, you know, we've heard some speculation with health reasons or whatnot. I don't really want to get into that because I don't know. But uh, my congratulations to him on a great career and just an outstanding coach. Outstanding. Yeah, for sure. Well, we got to run. Appreciate you joining us. Uh, I know we'd love to have you stick it around a bit longer, but uh, you got some stuff to take care of. We'll uh, talk to you next week. Uh, we'll, we'll end on this, Bo. Uh, we are 45 days away from the return of college football, my friend. Oh, man, it's almost here. It's a month and a half. And, and as, 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 as the great coach of Ocean Round would say, go Tigers. <laughs> Brian O'Connor, check him out online, O'ConnorAdvisorGroup.com, OAGCast.com as well. Thanks, Bo. Thank you. Have a great day. A couple more things before we wrap up here in the Jones Report today. I do want to talk about the Open Championship, which begins tomorrow. And the odds-on favorite is John Rahm. John Rahm won the U.S. Open just a few weeks ago. And if you recall, it was quite the story for John Rahm winning the U.S. Open. It was... Uh, after he had to drop out of the Memorial Tournament when he was uh, asymptomatic with COVID-19, had a six-shot lead in uh, that one, and uh, then ultimately was uh, forced to withdraw, and uh, even though he was you know, leading by that big margin and such, and recovers from COVID, bounces back, and ultimately ends up winning the U.S. Open. I mean, it was quite the story. And John Robb has been the Cinderella story of sorts in golf for the last few years. Uh, you look at how close he's come to winning these major championships. He's been one of the most consistent golfers on the PGA Tour the last few years. And, uh, you know, for him to finally come through and win that U.S. Open, I mean, that was great to see. I mean, this for golf fans, folks. For the sport of golf has been quite the year for not having Tiger Woods involved. We've been very fortunate with the product that's been put out there, the stories that have been told, especially in these pandemic circumstances. For John Rahm to come back and have his bounce back moment and uh, to redeem himself and win that U.S. Open from Phil Mickelson winning the PGA Championship and and uh, having what will probably likely be his last major title, but I guess never say never at this point when Tiger can pull that off. And we've seen the Brooks Kepka and, and a Bryson DeChambeau rivalry really take off. And, and, and I don't think that's manufactured or fake or anything. I think that's a real deal. I mean, it has been a very entertaining year. And now you head to the Open Championship, which is my favorite major of the four majors. Um, you know, I, I grew up, uh, you know, on, on the West coast. And so, you know, it, it was summertime and I'd get to stay up and it'd only be one o'clock in the morning and I'm getting to watch the open championship when it gets started. I mean, that was the coolest thing for me as a kid was staying up at night and getting to watch the open championship. 
you know, all other kids are going to sleep, whatever, you know, I'm just enjoying the open championship and, and seeing it play out. So um, to me, the open will always be special and all these classic British courses that we get to see, um, you know, this year it's going to be held at uh, Royal St. George's uh, in Sandwich. And uh, the last time the Open was held in England was all the way back in 2017 when Jordan Spieth won at Royal Birkdale. And uh, Royal St. George, it's the second oldest Open championship course. And the event's been played there 14 times. Darren Clark, the last winner back in 2011. So there's some history. And we didn't get to see the Open championship in uh, 2020. This was the one major that was canceled due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, you know, they had the insurance policy on it, the pandemic insurance, and and uh, canceled the uh, the Open Championship. But we got to see the others, even if it meant the Masters being in November. Um, this was the one that we missed out on. We didn't get the full crown jewel of all of them in uh, 2020. So the first time we've seen the Open in uh, two years now. And you, know, you got a guy like Bubba Watson who isn't going to participate because the Brits have some very, you know, stringent, uh, COVID protocols there and you know NBC is only going to be sending like 25 people of their entire uh, you know talent roster out to cover this just because how different things are I mean hell Chris Fowler was uh, calling Wimbledon for ESPN a week or two ago he's vaccinated and uh, he got forced into quarantine couldn't do his job and you know, Bubba Watson, he was vaccinated, but still sent home. So it's unfortunate that these things are, are happening, you know, that we see these things overseas with these tough policies, but uh, it kind of is what it is, as they say. But nonetheless, you know, John Rahm is your favorite. What I would say is if, if you're looking at betting odds on this, with Rahm at seven to one, it is so hard to win multiple majors in the same year, no matter who you are. Um, I would fade John Rahm this week. Now, I was right on. I picked John Rahm to win the U.S. Open, and he pulled it off. But I, I think the chances are slim of Rahm being able to pull off, despite how good he's played, winning another major in 2021. I would fade John Rahm. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau at 14 to 1. Uh, I wouldn't rule out. Uh, you know, Dustin Johnson's at 15 to 1. Rory's at 16 to 1. I think you get some value with Rory and Brooks Kepka at 16 to 1. We're still looking for Brooks's first major title of 2021. I mean, nobody has been better in majors as of late than Brooks Kepka with, you know, winning four major titles uh, all the way back to what is it? 2017, 2018. I mean, he's he's been really good in these major tournaments and, you know, for much of this year, you know, Brooks has played well, but He's done it, uh, you know, recovering from injury. And I think he's the closest to healthy that he's been uh, all year long. And you got to think that Brooks is going to put his best out there. I think uh, 16 to 1 at Brooks Kepka is, uh, you know, is a good bet. Uh, I would say Brooks is probably my pick this week. I would go with Brooks to win the uh, British. He's uh, still looking for his uh, first Open Championship title. Another name I'm watching for. Uh, that's got some value at 40 to one. And I've been riding him all year, still waiting for that to come through. I mean, he's still got a lot of good golf ahead of him. So his time will come. It's not a big deal that he hasn't won yet. And I'm not getting a little too excited. But uh, what about Victor Hovland? 
Victor Hovland at 40 to one. Um, he has been something special. The, the last couple of years with his emergence from the amateur ranks to going pro and what he's been able to do and stepping up in some of these major performances. Uh, I'm looking towards Victor Hovland. I think you got some good value with Victor at 40 to one. You get a nice return on investment if, uh, if he ultimately ends up winning this. So those are the kind of the guys I'm looking for those to watch. I, if I had to, you know, power rank them of some sorts, my top three, my finishing order, I'd go Brooks Kepka one, I'd go Rory McIlroy two, and then I'd go Victor Hovland at three as far as uh, the names I like this weekend at uh, the Open Championship uh, as far as that goes. So uh, should be an entertaining uh, Open Championship. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll get this all wrapped up on uh, Sunday is, uh, you know, of course, when this will end and uh, be su- early, you know, Sunday morning when uh, all this uh, gets done. Um, but nonetheless, uh, exciting to have this back, uh, you know, and, uh, and Royal, you know, St. George's um, is, uh, you know, is quite the special place. I mean, it, it, we've all been looking towards that moment of getting back to normalcy of some sorts, that, that normal feeling. That's all that we've been trying for. And I think we've been there in America for a while. Now we're kind of waiting on everyone else. You know, the, the Olympics in Tokyo aren't going to have fans, which is just ridiculous. And now, you know, we see, you know, the, the UK, uh, it's going to be limited fans there, stringent COVID protocols. We're kind of just waiting on everybody else at this point. And at least we're having this event. It feels like, for comparison, that the Open Championship and some of these other international events are where we were at at this time last year, where, um, you know, we're at this point where we've kind of moved on past the pandemic in a way that, you know, we're the, we're now on the front lines when it comes to vaccines and having full stadiums and that whole effect again. Meanwhile, in the UK and some of these other countries, it feels like they're at where we were at last year. And so, you know, we're getting, we're getting there. We're making progress. Now we're just kind of waiting on everybody else. And I think that's what we're seeing out of this Open Championship. So I look forward to it starting. Uh, you've heard it first. Fade John Rahm uh, put that stock on a Brooks and a Victor Hovland and a Rory McIlroy is the names I'm watching for is my top three there. All right. Before we get out of here today, it is time for our Tom Fullery story of the week. Typically, these duties belong to our own Thomas Bridges, but with uh, Tom on a vacay, it's up to yours truly to uh, handle the Tom Fullery duties. And you know me, it's not hard for me to be foolish. So we'll go ahead and get started. And uh, this story comes right here in the United States in, uh, in Brooklyn, as a matter of fact. Uh, Kraft has come up with an idea you probably never expected. A limited edition macaroni and cheese flavored ice cream. The company said in a statement it wanted to combine two iconic comfort foods. The brand is partnering with Brooklyn-based Van Leeuwen Ice Cream to produce the creation. Kraft boost that the new ice cream has no artificial flavors, preservatives, or dyes. You can order the ice cream on Van Leeuwen's website for just $12 a pint starting today while supplies last. It's also available at Van Leeuwen's stores. So there you have it. 
Kraft mac and cheese ice cream. Um, I got to tell you, right off the top, uh, this sounds horrible. This sounds disgusting. I don't know why anyone would put themselves through eating mac and cheese ice cream. You know, you know, if we were to go back in time in the hot tub time machine um, to a young Tyler Jones, uh, a young Tyler Jones in his days of you know, going to elementary school and you know, eating the uh, lunch from the cafeteria and the lunch lady scoops up, uh, you know, some, some Kraft mac and cheese and puts it on his uh, lunch tray and Tyler goes to eat it. And he's like, man, this is disgusting. Uh, I don't like mac and cheese. And that was my thought for years that I don't like mac and cheese because I don't like Easy Mac. I don't like Kraft mac and cheese. And as I got older, I realized, no, I do like mac and cheese. I just like mac and cheese done right. Uh, I like, you know, real cheeses involved, um, you know, cheeses that have some substance of sorts, real cheese, um, you know, have some quality involved. Um, you know, if you recall on this show, folks, um, what was it about last year when, uh, when our own Thomas Bridges took the time to make the Andy Reid mac and cheese, which was just immaculate with uh, with bacon and about every other cheese you could think of, you know, I mean, it was a championship recipe uh, from Andy Reid that uh, that he put together. I mean, it was uh, it was something else, and that was maybe the best mac and cheese I've ever had. I mean, that was some good stuff, and so that's what I look to is when I eat mac and cheese is you know I, I want there to be some thought into it. I don't want it to be something that was just thrown together like that craft and. Uh, mac and cheese such. So now you reveal to me, okay, you got you got this craft mac and cheese for me, uh, the ice cream. And you know what? You might be able to convince me uh, on eating the mac and cheese if you didn't get craft involved. Craft brands are just terrible. Um, you know, the, the the fact that you're trying to sell me on craft mac and cheese has me out. I'm not even giving this a chance. Now, if somebody wants to to buy me that uh, that ice cream and wants me bad enough to try it that they buy it for me, then okay, you know what? I won't be rude. I'll go ahead and give it a shot. But I mean, you think about it. We're talking 12 bucks for a pint of ice cream. I mean, that's some expensive ice cream. I mean, if you were telling me that I was spending 12 bucks on a pint of ice cream, I, I would think it was like, you know, something straight from God, you know, something from heaven of some sorts. I mean, 12 bucks, that's not cheap for a, a pint of ice cream. You know how much ice cream I could get at, uh, you know, at Brahms or, uh, you know, my local ice cream place for 12 bucks? I get a lot of ice cream, a lot of quality ice cream. And then you tell me that you got not only just mac and cheese, but Kraft mac and cheese as your flavor of choice, as your brand partner, I'm out. No thanks. See you later. No can do on the Kraft Mac and Cheese. Who the hell thought this was a good idea? I mean, if that's what these ideas are coming down to, I mean, hire me. I'll fix all your problems. We're not making Kraft Mac and Cheese. I got a whole lot of better ideas. And you can probably pay me less than the idiot that came up with this idea. But uh, I'll say this, to their credit, if I were to give them any credit of some sorts is they have won the news day. Cause what have you done? You've got us talking about the craft Mac and cheese on this show in many other media outlets. You have won the PR battle. You've got our attention that way. So credit where credit's due there to 
uh, get the attention and win the information, the infomatic uh, battle to uh, get that attraction out there. But otherwise, uh, this is just a terrible idea. I don't know who thought of this. Whoever thought of this should be fired and lose their job immediately. And and uh, I would not trust them for anything else ever again. So there you have it. Kraft mac and cheese ice cream does exist. Uh, do not recommend. Uh, even I wouldn't even want my worst enemy to eat Kraft mac and cheese ice cream. Well, maybe actually I would. But nonetheless, uh, this sound does not sound too pleasing uh, as far as that goes. But nonetheless, that is our uh, Tom Fullery story of the week this week. Thomas will be back next week with uh, something outrageous, I'm sure, uh, that probably will taste just as bad of some sorts uh, when uh, we see him return from uh, Mexico. Uh, Going to get out of here. Got to catch a bird up to the state of Arizona. My first trip to Phoenix. I have never been to Phoenix before. So this will be a new experience. I'll be on the call for the uh, Navi Championship. We talked about that with Brent Cawley last week. If you missed last week's show, uh, check it out for more information on what we're doing in Phoenix. And uh, I'll have more details on my social media channels at Tyler Jones Live on uh, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, uh, TJ Media Group on uh, Facebook and Twitter. And uh, also Jones underscore report on Instagram. You can find me there. Certainly would appreciate the follow and uh, subscribe to this show. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all. We would love to uh, hear from you there as we bring you this show each and every week here on the Jones Report. And uh, in a couple of days, this Sunday, will mark... Uh, 10 years since we launched the Jones Report. We're going to have an all-out big special next week, and it is going to be monumental to look back on 10 years of this show. It has been a wild ride, and it has been a pleasure to bring this to you. And uh, you're, you're going to like what we have cooked up next week. going to be a lot of fun here on the Jones Report. We'll uh, see you then. And uh, Thomas will be back fresh off vacation as well. Should be great to have him along for the ride. Big thanks to uh, Coach Bo for filling in and uh, jumping in for Thomas this week. And I always enjoy having him for uh, Coach Bo's football fix here on the Jones Support. And uh, big thanks to uh, Joe Scanlon as well, making his debut. Always love when we make new friends and have new people on the show. And I will look forward to talking to Joe again in the very near future. That does it for the Jones Report this week. Have a great one, everybody. We'll see you right back here next week on the Jones Report. So long, everybody.